Matthew chapter 5, we will be studying verses 27 through 30. We're continuing in our sermon series on kingdom living. Looking at what Jesus taught his disciples on how to live in his kingdom. And this morning you will notice we come to a very interesting passage and you're probably thinking... What is he going to do with this, this morning? Uh, But I want to assure you, if you look down next, our next uh, passage to study would be right before Thanksgiving on Jesus' words on divorce. And so for Thanksgiving, if you don't mind, we're going to hold off on that one (laughs) and talk about Thanksgiving and all we have to be thankful for. And then very soon after that, we will be moving into our Advent sermon series on the prophecy of Christmas. And so it's here. The holidays are upon us. It has come very quickly. So, but if you are visiting today, I'm sorry, please come back. We'll have some (laughs) better messages, maybe. This is God's holy and authoritative words to us, spoken by our Lord Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body to go into hell. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, we confess freely as the Apostle Peter did that your word contains difficult things, hard sayings, hard things to understand and to process. We thank you that you did not leave us alone in this world to to wander. And so we pray now that the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, would come now and illumine our hearts, would take these words of life and change us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Many of you may recall uh, a man named Aaron Ralston. It was somewhat a little over a decade ago that Aaron Ralston, an outdoorsman, an engineer from Colorado, was climbing in Utah. And as he was climbing down into a cavern and rappelling, a huge boulder turned loose on his descent and trapped his right arm in that cave, in that canyon. Aaron was there for five days and seven hours, trapped, unable to move. And so as he ran out of water and ran out of supplies, and as it became apparent that no one was going to be able to find him, no one was going to be able to come and to help him, he proceeded to do the unthinkable. 
and he actually severed his arm from his body to turn loose from that rock and to hike and climb five miles out to his car to proceed on to a hospital. And he is now alive and well. Now this story gives me the (laughs) heebie-jeebies. I don't like to think about this. But this story illustrates the type of radical obedience that Jesus is calling his followers to when it comes to understanding and applying the, the law of God to the Christian life. So here in Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 through 30, we have the, the second example that the Lord Jesus gives us where he is more fully explaining his teaching that he gives in verse 17, where he says, Do not think I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And so Jesus is now giving his disciples further teaching by way of examples to show that how the the gospel magnifies the law. The gospel gives the, the law of God greater authority and greater purpose in the life of a believer. So Jesus is showing his followers how the, the law instructs our hearts. The law of God guides us on the path of righteousness. And Jesus, he cares about the law. And he cares about how the law applies to our lives. He cares about the law and the life of the Christian. And he's going to show us here how the seventh commandment, there is way more to it than what we see on the surface. There's way more to it than we're willing to admit and to apply to our lives. And that is the key principle that we've been talking about, that for the disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, for a follower of Jesus, understanding how the law applies to our Christian life is one of the most critical issues of our time. The believer needs the law of God. We need the law to learn how to please God. And rather than abolishing or disregarding the law, Jesus now comes to give the law of God fuller meaning, fuller application to the life of the believer. And I've quoted several times before, but it's worth quoting just one more time, J.C. Ryle's application here of the law of God. He says, the law of the Ten Commandments is God's eternal measure of right and wrong. By it is the knowledge of sin. By it the Spirit shows men their need of Christ and drives them to Him. Christ refers His people to the law as their rule and guide for holy living. In its right place, it is just as important as the glorious gospel. It cannot save us. We cannot be justified by it, but never, never let us despise it. And so here in Matthew chapter 5, in this passage, verses 27 through 30, Jesus means to teach us how we are to love and apply the law to our lives, specifically how we are to apply the seventh commandment to our lives. So let's examine this teaching here of our Lord. Let's look at what he has to say about the seventh commandment by looking at three parts. First, We're going to look at a narrow understanding of the seventh commandment. 
Secondly, we're going to look at the meaning of the seventh commandment according to Jesus. And third, we're going to look at Jesus' application of the seventh commandment to kingdom living. So first there you will see in verse 27 where Jesus says, You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. This quotation, this word from Jesus is actually word for word is the Greek equivalent of the Hebrew in the Old Testament of the seventh commandment. You shall not commit adultery. We find that in Exodus chapter 20, verse 14, the first giving of the law, Moses reciting the Ten Commandments given to him by God. And Jesus here quotes it word for word. And there's nothing wrong with what he's quoting here. This word contains truth. This commandment is the revelation of God. But this commandment was followed and applied by the scribes and Pharisees in a strict and narrow sense only. Again, here Jesus introduces this statement as he did in the previous passage where he says, you have heard that it was said to those of old. And this is a very different way than Jesus normally quotes Old Testament Scripture. Because as we said last week, normally when Jesus is getting ready to quote Old Testament Scripture, he says, it is written. But here he doesn't do that. And he does this because he wants to make a very important distinction here between what the religious leaders were interpreting as the seventh commandment versus his authoritative way of understanding it. Essentially, what we have here is a narrow definition, a narrow understanding of the seventh commandment versus Jesus' more gospel-centered and a, and a broader way of understanding this commandment. So why did Jesus do this here? Why does he make this distinction? Well, as we said again last week, at some point, very early on in the history of God's people and Jewish thinking and in Jewish theology, the teaching of the rabbis became more authoritative than Holy Scripture itself. And this was a great error on their part. It continues to be a great error on the part of many Jewish teachings. So again, Jesus is making a point that the religious leaders' understanding of the seventh commandment it doesn't go far enough. It's too narrow. The teaching of the Pharisees was easy to obey superficially, but it doesn't go quite far enough because they just wanted to look at it on the surface and take it no further. And we do the same thing. We do the exact same thing with God's law. We take God's commands, we take God's rules, we take God's word, and we reduce it to some simple restriction that we know that we can keep, and we never deal with our own hearts on the matter. And so it's easy to look at the seventh commandment, right? Look at it up on the wall in the Sunday school class, thou shalt not commit adultery. And we can say, well, I'm not married, so that doesn't apply to me. Or... We can say, well, I've only been married once, so it certainly doesn't apply to me. Or if you're a child or a student or an unmarried person there, then it's easy for you to say, well, I'm just a kid, not talking to me, and move on. 
and not worry about the greater teaching here that Jesus gives us. The scribes and the Pharisees were trying to apply the seventh commandment to adultery only. Adultery being an inappropriate relationship with someone who is not your spouse. And so they were just trying to say, if you don't commit adultery, you're keeping this commandment and that's it. But as we will see here in just the very next verse, Jesus has much more to say here. Look with me in verse 28 as we look at Jesus' meaning, his further interpretation and elaboration on the seventh commandment. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Jesus here elevates the law of God, specifically the seventh commandment, to a whole nother level. And he goes right after our hearts. He says that the seventh commandment is more than just external behavior. It's a matter of the heart. Jesus rejects a narrow interpretation of the commandments because the law of God must and does penetrate our hearts goes to the heart. The law of God is not just forbidding the act of adultery. It goes for more than that. It goes to the sin that resides in our own heart. And that is why Jesus says, but I say to you, when Jesus says that, Jesus being the son of God, being the king, He can now issue a command with rank and authority. And he's not replacing the commandment, but he's showing how it is to be properly understood. What Jesus is saying here is that, yes, adultery, cheating on your spouse, having a sinful physical relationship with someone who is not your spouse, it is wrong. It is a sin. It is a serious violation of the commandment. But... So is lust. So are inappropriate looks, inappropriate talk, and inappropriate and sinful thoughts and desires. To Jesus, any type of sexual immorality is just as serious a violation of the seventh commandment as outright adultery. Jesus here is talking about Spiritual adultery. Jesus teaches that we break this commandment with our thoughts. We break it with our hearts. We break it with our imaginations. Even if our outward conduct is seemingly very moral. And this is exactly where we want to skip over the words of Jesus. And ignore the teachings and applications of the Bible. Because we don't want to hear this. We don't want to be convicted in this way. We don't want to be told that we've broken the seventh commandment. We want to think that that commandment, that's just for really bad people. You know, people that are just kind of ostracized in society and who don't care about the Lord. That's the way our thinking goes. But the truth is, we've all broken this commandment. And we most often break it with the sinful imaginations of our hearts. J.C. Ryle said this. He said, The God with whom we have to do, He looks far beyond actions. 
With him, even a glance of the eye may be a sin. The writers and composers of the Heidelberg Catechism that we read in worship earlier that you'll see there in your bulletin, they got to the heart of the matter. They didn't want God's people and the teachings of the church to just deal with externalities. They wanted to go with what's going on in the heart and how do we apply the seventh commandment to the heart. And that's why, as we read the answer to those questions, it reminds us that anything that it says incites unchastity, unchastity being engaging in sinful sexual activity, anything that incites unchastity, whether it be actions, looks, talk, thoughts, Desires, all of those things are, in fact, spiritual adultery. And again, we don't want to go that far. We don't want to hear it. (laughs) We don't want to think that applies to us. Jesus is going after our hearts. What does Jesus mean by when he says looking at someone lustfully or having lustful intent? It means to look at someone who's not your spouse or someone who's not going to be your spouse and desire them in a manner that is outside God's will for the marriage relationship. This is adultery of the heart. This is what Jesus is speaking of here. Why is Jesus so serious here? Isn't he taking this commandment too far? Isn't he being unrealistic with how we are to live life in this fallen world? No. No, because Jesus is interesting in protecting and shepherding our hearts. He wants his disciples' hearts for himself. Jesus has our best interest in mind, and he wants us to have a true gospel joy that can only be found in faithfulness to this commandment. So Sinclair Ferguson says, Jesus recognized that sinners could never know true and lasting joy as long as they indulge themselves. And sexual infidelity is a sure way to ruin marital joy, whether it takes place before or during marriage. It's a sure way to ruin marital joy. Keeping this commandment and applying it as Jesus is teaching here, it's it's a matter of the heart. Not the organ that circulates the blood, not the emotional part of our nature, but Jesus is talking about the inward man here, the totality of our being, who we are before God, all that we are, our mind, our will, our affections. Jesus is concerned for that and how wonderful it is that we have a Savior who cares that much about us. He wants our hearts. He wants us to guard our hearts because He knows that this type of adultery of the heart can destroy us. It can destroy lives. That is what adultery and spiritual adultery does. But this is exactly where the world says... See, you Christian types, you don't get it. You don't know how to have fun. You're so legalistic. 
you're denying your natural human instincts. We're made to have fun and to fulfill any and all type of pleasures that we may have. That's what the world says. But brothers and sisters, let me tell you, this type, that type of thinking is not freedom. It's not fun. It's bondage. It's slavery to sin. The only freedom is to be found in faithfulness to the law of God and applying it to our hearts. And this is why Jesus, rather than saying to us, just be faithful, just stop doing that, (laughs) he tells us how to be faithful by pursuing radical purity with radical righteousness. And that's the third point. Jesus applies the seventh commandment here in verses 29 through 30 in a very radical manner. Remember Aaron Ralston, the climber that I talked about earlier? Think about him for a minute. Think about your own life. Would you be willing to deal that radically with sin in your life to save your soul? Would you? Would you be willing to literally sever something in your life to deal with sin? Is dealing with sexual immorality in our lives, is it that big of a deal? Should we, should we treat it that, that seriously? Yes. Yes. Because think about this for a minute. Think about you personally. Think about your social circles, your family right now, think about how many people you know that have been utterly destroyed by this sin. Think about that. And I'm not just up here just saying that self-righteously because I come from a family and have family members who've been devastated by this sin. Sinclair Ferguson says, he says, sexual relations have become the door through which many professing Christians have walked to their destruction. It's not just bad people. It's not just those people. It's even believers who have let the sin creep in and destroy their lives. Jesus says twice, once in verse 29 and once in verse 30, That this sin is so serious, it's such a big deal. He talks about body parts being thrown into hell. He speaks of hell. Sexual immorality is damaging. It's destructive. So it must be dealt with radically. So what does this radical obedience to the seventh commandment look like for kingdom living? How do we live pure in a fallen world? Let's... Read Jesus' words here. Verse 29. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. Does Jesus mean this literally? Is Jesus literally telling us to... Well, Jesus is using 
hyperbolic language here, hyperbole. And no, he does not mean this literally. Because if he did, if we were to take this literally, if we were literally to start chopping off body parts and plucking out body parts every time we sin, then we would just be nothing but a big pile of mush. (laughs) Because we sin with all parts of our body. And we would be nothing but body parts laying around. Jesus is using this type of language not to talk about self-mutilation, not to talk about physically harming yourself every time you sin. That's not what he's talking about. He's using this hyperbole, this extreme language here, to talk about the ruthless way in which we must deal with sin in our lives. We must be ruthless. Jesus is talking here about spiritual mortification. Mortification is one of those big theological words that's important for us to know in the church. Mortification is the spiritual discipline of putting death, putting to death sin in our lives. We are to put sin to death. It's a daily, active, intentional act of seeing sin in your life and seeking to get rid of it by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's what the Apostle Paul teaches in Romans 8, verse 13. Listen to this verse. He's talking to the Christians here. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. In other words, if you keep living in sin and living in the power of your sinful nature, you're you're dead. You You will die. But if by the Spirit, if by the power of the Holy Spirit... You put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. By the power of the Holy Spirit, and the Lord has given us, we are to put to death sin in our lives. I love the way John Owen describes this. He says, be killing sin, or it will be killing you. Kill a sin, or a part of sin, every day. So what does this look like, especially as we deal here with lust and adultery? Brother John Stott, again, is helpful here. Listen to what he says. He says, let me elaborate and so interpret Jesus' teaching. If your eye causes you to sin because temptation comes to you through your eyes, objects that you see, then pluck out your eyes. That is, don't look. Behave as if you had actually plucked out your eyes and flung them away and where you now are blind and so could not see the objects which previously caused you to sin. Again, if your hand or foot causes you to sin because temptation comes to you through your hands, things you do, or your feet, places you visit, and cut them off. That is, don't do it. Don't go. Behave as if you had actually cut off your hands and your feet and had flung them away and were now crippled and could not do the things or visit the places which previously caused you to sin. That is the meaning of mortification. One scholar says this. He says about Jesus' words here in verses 29 through 30. This picturesque reputation of a prized part of the body shows vividly that there is to be no compromise with evil. 
be killing sin or it will be killing you. So what's the point? It is vitally important that the disciple of Jesus Christ take whatever life-saving measures are necessary to control the passions of the flesh that left unchecked will conquer, will destroy, will rot our souls. We must deal radically with the sin in our hearts, especially in this area. Now look, I... I wanted to remain rated G in the sermon. This is not the type of passage I would regularly go to in a congregation. But it is Jesus' words. And there's so much more that we can say and do here. There's so much more that we can apply to our lives and to our hearts. And so let me encourage you men in your small groups talk about these things and to talk about how to deal radically with this. And for you women as well, I don't believe that Jesus here is just addressing men. There is implications for women as well here. So talk about it in your groups with your mentors. And for students, for young men and women, that you would seek help, that you would have accountability, that you would have mentors that would help you fight sin in this area. And for parents, that you would radically deal with this in your household, that you would take protective measures to guard the hearts of your children. Please consider this teaching of Jesus, all of you. Because we have seen how serious Jesus is applying this commandment against adultery and how it goes to our hearts And how we can easily see now that we have fallen short of the glory of God. We have broken this commandment. And you may see now that you have really screwed up in this area of your life. Or you are really struggling with this right now. And if that is you, then you need to know right now that this is not the unforgivable sin. It's not. There is forgiveness of sin here. Believers who are struggling in this area can live life, lives of radical obedience. And that is assumed here by Jesus' teaching. Because he's not saying here, if you disobey this commandment, then you're just going to hell and there's no good for you at all. No, he is, he is saying here, it is the failure to take this sin seriously that we have to avoid. Rather, we are to intentionally and deliberately focus on getting rid of sin in our lives. We're not just to live with it. We're to deal with sin in our lives. We're to mortify it. And so if you're not dealing with the sin in your life, go to the Lord. Go to the Lord in prayer and plead with Him to help you, to give you His Spirit to mortify sin in your life. And don't just stop there. Go to a brother or sister in Christ that you know and that you trust and that you love who can help you deal with the sin in your life. We must be killing sin in our lives or it will be killing us. We must do this because Jesus paid the ultimate price 
for sin. He dealt with our sin on the cross. His body was broken. His members were, in a sense, cut off. He was cut off from His heavenly Father. He was killed for you and for me. He experienced hell on the cross so that sin would not have absolute power over us. Ever. And so with that knowledge, with the power of the gospel, let us be killing sin in our lives. Let us go to the cross and see the forgiveness there and find the power and find the strength to radically obey this teaching of Jesus. Let's pray. Oh Lord, it would be so much easier for me to just stand up here and give an inspiring thought of the day and not deal with the hard teaching of your word. But there it is. There it is. There are the words of life, the things that you took the intentional and deliberate time to teach your disciples, to instruct us on how to live in your kingdom. Lord, it is a radical way of living. We can't do it by ourselves. And so we pray for the power of the Holy Spirit to work in our lives and our hearts so that we may live a life of radical righteousness for you. Help us, we pray, in Jesus' name.